While y'all are settling down, please uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 9 or your devices or whatnot. Uh, We always encourage you to follow along. Um, Make sure we're not uh, handing you something that isn't in the Word. That's, uh, That's important because it's we try to be as faithful as we can to God's Word. He's preserved it for a long time for us to, to learn about Him from. So let's uh, open in prayer. Father God, You open our eyes to our need for Christ. You open our eyes to how different the world looks through Christ. And you open our our hearts to participating in the works of God. And as we talk about those things this morning, I pray that it would settle into our hearts that we have been called into a great work of God, the work of sharing the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So since Dr. Delisle is here, I'm gonna I'm gonna add a little something to my sermon this morning. Um uh, when I grew up, I grew up in the Los Angeles area, okay, and we had the Griffith Observatory. It's, uh, you know, it was built in like the, the 20s or something like that, and they've got the, the telescope and the dome. It's pretty cool. And you go up there, and you, you can look out through that telescope and, and, you know, look out in the world around us, the universe around us. Now, the challenge with that telescope is it's in Los Angeles. So there's light pollution, it's smoggy, right? So for, for the images of the planets and, and all that light coming through, it's got all this layers of stuff that are filtering out the true picture that's out there. All, so, you know, light scatters in weird ways. And so some decades ago, somebody said, hmm, what if we put a telescope up in space, right? So the Hubble, and, and now we have the James Webb. And, and so they're up there outside the atmosphere, okay? And they can, they can get a much clearer picture of what's going on. It's, it's unfiltered. And, and keep that in mind if you've ever seen those cool pictures of kind of, you know, earthbound telescope, Hubble, and James Webb. You see this tremendous progression of clarity in the images that we can see of the universe around us. And so that's, that's kind of relevant to what we're going to be talking through in John chapter 9 today. Because as we, as we walk through our sanctification, we start out... I'm just going to condense my sermon real quick here, but just so you guys get the get the roadmap, you know, we, we have to be have our eyes open to our need for Christ. That's kind of the first filter that comes off, and then as we're sanctified and we start to see our ourselves in Christ, that's more filters coming off, and we get to start seeing things from Christ's perspective, seeing the spiritual around us. Um, so we see Christ working on that in the disciples this morning, and we see the difference between the Pharisees who are still blinded, and the disciples. So I hope we can see ourselves in this. So, John chapter 9. Have you ever been accused of looking at the world through rose-colored glasses? Anybody familiar with that little uh, phrase, right? Well, traditionally, it's, it's kind of an insult thrown at somebody who seems to only see the good things in the world around them. The, the implication is that the rose tint on the glasses kind of filters out the bad stuff, right? And, and I've also heard it thrown around as a more general insult at anyone who seems to ignore something that's seemingly obvious to everyone else. And, and the truth is that over time, we all develop these, these filters in how we process things. You know, instead of processing every bit of information equally, we'll, we'll focus on certain details more than others. And, 
that can be helpful, right? If, if I'm driving to a new location, I'm going to be focusing on the street signs more than the landscaping that, of the houses I'm driving by, right? And, and with that focus, there's a good chance I'm going to actually arrive at my destination without getting lost. So that's a good thing. But it can also be hurtful. You know, if I'm driving around focusing on the street signs, I might li miss the speed limit sign and the police car that's right there, and I'm like 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, right? So I get to my destination, I make it to the location, but I've got a speeding ticket, right? That's, that's not cool. But when we come from it from a spiritual way, you know, those filters we develop impact us spiritually as well. First of all, our salvation, how we see Christ, if we even see Christ. Our sanctification, how we see ourselves in Christ. And our participation, how we see our involvement in the kingdom work of Christ. So today in John chapter 9, we're going to learn about the sixth sign, say that five times fast, that John chose to focus on in his account of Jesus' ministry. And this is the public healing on the Sabbath of a man born blind. Now, it, this is important because as we've been going through John, he's been building this case that Jesus is indeed the Christ. So that's, the, that's the first filter we have to deal with, right? Who is Christ? See, being born with a sin nature, we're all blinded to our need for a Savior. We're going to be dealing with some metaphor as well as Jesus compares the physical blindness of this man that he heals with spiritual blindness. It's a bigger problem. He also compares the, the physical mechanism of seeing with actually understanding the things that our eyes capture around the world or in the world around us. And, and these things both affect our sanctification and our participation. Now, as we've seen in recent chapters, Jesus seems to be making a deliberate effort to confront the Jewish religious leaders. You know, if you think about it, they, more than anyone, should have been able to see him, to recognize him as the Christ. And yet they have proven themselves blind to real spiritual matters. But we will see that even his disciples did the same thing. And if his disciples were prone to it, you can bet we are too. So let's jump into the ninth chapter of John's gospel and see about removing some of that rose-colored glass filters from our eyes that we may more clearly see the kingdom of God. Starting from verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, Jesus' disciples grew up steeped in Jewish culture, right? And Jewish culture at the time had an emphasis on sin, right? And that makes sense because the law was meant to point out sin, right? We read in Romans 3, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, 
since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So as much as they had been hearing Jesus correcting the Pharisees concerning himself and the law, the disciples still defaulted to thinking that the blindness was some punishment for sin. They couldn't see another option. They thought focusing on sin was akin to what was important to the kingdom of God. They couldn't see that the kingdom of God was about more than that. Now, as I've been studying this chapter, something stood out to me that I hadn't noticed before. That the sin of a man born blind might have been why he was punished with blindness. Did you catch that? The sin of a man born blind. How does that work? (laughs) Now, of course, Scripture asserts that as descendants of Adam, we're all born guilty of sin, right? But, but the implication here is that somehow in the womb, this man, you know, ha- had committed some specific sin worthy of punishment. I, I mean, I, I suppose he could have been deliberately kicking his mom's kidney in the third trimester, but I, I, I don't know, that's kind of weird. Perhaps it points to some secular way of thinking that crept into Jewish culture, right? But interestingly enough, Jesus, Jesus doesn't address that. He addresses the deeper issue. And the deeper issue being that they couldn't conceive of a greater purpose to the man's affliction. See, their their filters reduced life to a simplistic worldview of punishment and reward. And, And because blindness wasn't the normal condition for humans, it made that blind person somehow inferior. Now, as as Jesus so often did for his disciples and for us. Jesus is going to start to clean their faulty filters, okay? As he points out to them that this man's blindness wasn't punishment, but served a kingdom purpose, right? That the works of God might be displayed. So let's continue on with that thought about the works of God. Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, notice what's absent in the commentary of the disciples, right? There's no hint of any compassion toward the man. They just said, blind man, right? There's there's not even the thought of throwing the blind beggar a few coins, let alone sharing the gospel with him. But rather than correct the disciples for their selfishness, Jesus takes another approach. He invites them to participate in the kingdom work God has sent him to do. Of course, that work is to point people to God and make disciples from all nations, right? To be compassionate toward people as Jesus was demonstrating to the disciples time and again. To meet people where they are. That's what Kurt pointed out a few weeks ago that God's love would be on display. Now, notice that Jesus also imparts a sense of urgency. We heard that in Kurt's prayer this morning. Folks, the time available for us to share the gift of love, that gift of salvation that God has given us with others is limited. 
Now, in his approach with the disciples, Jesus is facilitating their sanctification. Now, maybe it's just me, but oftentimes when I think of sanctification, I just think of it in terms of, you know, getting rid of the sin in my life. But what we see here and elsewhere in Scripture is that it's more than that. See, something that is sanctified is cleaned and used for a holy purpose. See, Jesus didn't call, just call us to repent, right? He, he called us to repent and believe, right? And belief isn't just this status, static thing that's for our benefit, right? See, the Spirit is continually at work removing sin and filling us, right? Sin out, filling Him more and more with the Spirit so that we're equipped more and more for the works of Him who sent me. See, that equipping is like seeing more clearly the spiritual needs of those around us, seeing beyond the surface image that those in the world would normally see, and acting in ways that glorify God in responding to what we see. Sanctification and participation go hand in hand. In other words, as God works in your heart, growing holiness and love and Christ-like character in you, don't keep that to yourself. Go out into the world, living out and sharing the gospel with those around you. Isn't that what Josh pointed out last week? Now, I mentioned earlier that sanctification involves how we see ourselves in Christ. See, the disciples showed that their sin-focused response to the blind man, or from that, with that, that they were seeing from outside of Christ. At some level, they must have seen themselves as sinners and applied that filter to the blind man as well. Now, Jesus didn't say that the blind man was without sin, but that the purpose of his blindness was to demonstrate the works of God. Do we have a similar response when we encounter that sort of situation? Do we only see our sin, or do we see ourselves in Christ as sinners who are forgiven and given a mission, a mission to do the works of God? Do you automatically view some, some sickness or trial that you're going through as, as, as punishment? Or do you ask God to show you how it might be used to further his kingdom? See, the latter, that's seeing ourselves in Christ. So having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. All right. Is it me or is that just kind of weird, right? I mean, if you look back in chapter 4, right, Jesus healed the official's son from the next town over. He wasn't even there. So, so why would he make mud from spit and dirt? I mean, that's, that's, and then put it on the dude's eyes and send him to go wash in some nearby pool? I mean, that's, I don't know, that's just weird. Now, if we think that's weird, right, I, I'll, I'll bet you the people of Jesus' day thought that was pretty weird too. But here's the thing. The blind man acted in faith. He obeyed Jesus' instructions and washed in the pool. 
Now that alone, okay, is a good example for us, right? To act in faith, to obey the instructions that Jesus gives us in Scripture, even when everyone else thinks they're weird. See, for the blind man, though, it's some of his first steps towards salvation, towards seeing Jesus as the Christ. Ah, but there's more going on here than just that. Now, as we pick up the context of this encounter from chapter 8, remember we always look for context as we're going through Scripture, Jesus and his disciples met this man as they were leaving the temple, right? They'd been there for the Feast of Booths. Now they're heading out of the temple. And by that time, a 25-foot-wide pilgrim's road had been established from the Pool of Siloam up to the temple. You can actually go see this today. And that was there to accommodate the large number of people coming to worship during High Holy Days. The pool itself had been established in Hezekiah's time, so way back when the Israelites were coming back from one of their exiles. And it would have been used by those coming to Jerusalem for that festival of booths that we talked about in chapter 8 to perform their ritual cleansing before climbing the many steps of that pilgrim's road up to the temple. And this wasn't just some small pool. Recent archaeological excavations point to that pool taking up more than an acre of land. In other words, this very public miracle done at the end of the Festival of Booths would have been witnessed by a lot of people. So let's continue on with that in the back of our heads. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Right, so now the gossip mill is starting up, right? The, the, the people are talking back and forth, debating about if it really is the same formerly blind beggar, right? Now, if you think about it, when you pass by the panhandlers at our intersections here in Colorado Springs, do you notice them? Or do you see them enough to recognize their faces? A lot of them are on the same corner day after day, right? Well, some of us will notice that they're there. Some of us will notice their faces and recognize that they're there day after day. The same would have been true back then, right? Some people would have seen him begging on the side of the road enough to be able to identify him. Others would have been unsure. And based on Jesus' other public miracles, you can pretty well bet that the interest that these folks that we just read about, these neighbors, had in Jesus was based on what temporal blessing they could get from him. And that's probably why Jesus wasn't around immediately following the healing, right? He sent the man to Siloam. He wasn't there when he washed his eyes off in the pool. So let's listen to what happens next. They brought to the Pharisees, that already spells trouble, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day, 
when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Now, even though the miracle had been performed very much in public, right? We just talked about that. Notice that Jesus had separated himself from the point in time when the man actually started to see again. If it had been me receiving my sight, right? I mean, I'd be like whooping up and down and hollering. I could see, I could see, you know, praise God. Um, Keep in mind, Jesus was looking to glorify God, not himself, And so he didn't make a spectacle of the healing by being there at the pool with the man. But back to the Pharisees. They're still tripping over the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They're so bound up in the letter of the law that they missed the spirit of the law. You know, I get the sense that in their questioning of the man, they're trying to see if Jesus used some pagan magic to perform the healing. See, if if that was the case, they could have used that to prove that he wasn't from God. And perhaps that's why Jesus made the mud. It could have been in no way tied to some pagan ritual. And, And notice in particular how this healing also sets the Pharisees again to consider who Jesus is. See, there's that connection again to salvation, okay? Some some of those Pharisees are so hung up on the Sabbath question that they can't conceive of him being from God, despite the fact that God created the Sabbath for man's rest and restoration. Others can't see how someone who is against God could do such a miracle. And with that, we can hope that perhaps some of those would have salvation come to them. Now, at the end of the day, of course, That's the question that we all have to wrestle with. Who is Jesus to you? See, even if you set aside the biblical accounts, there are other historical records that point to his existence. So you can't honestly deny that a person named Jesus actually existed in this point in history. And with that, the only question left is whether Jesus is just a great teacher or truly the Son of God. The Son of God as He claims and as His followers testify to. And if He truly is the Son of God, then the only way for your heart to get right with God is to repent and believe in His Son. That's what Jesus asks of His followers. Let's continue. The Jews did not believe that He had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. 
Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. One of the first recorded passings of the book. So the Pharisees, right, are split among themselves. Some think Jesus is a sinner. Others can't see how a sinner could perform such a miracle. Or was it really a miracle and not some trick, right? So to answer that last question, the Jews needed additional witnesses to verify the man's claim that he had indeed been born blind. Enter the man's parents. Who better to confirm if he really was born blind? That's certainly better than the neighbors who may or may not have really seen him as he begged along the side of the road. And guess what? His parents confirmed that he was indeed blind from birth. So things are continuing to worsen for the Pharisees as their attempts to discredit this man unravel. Now don't miss the fact that the parents are afraid of the Jewish leaders. See, despite Roman rule, the Jewish religious practices still dominated all aspects of Jewish life. Getting put out of the synagogue would have gotten them ostracized in their social and business circles as well. And if you remember, even the blind man in the previous verses only identified Jesus as a prophet. Now, before we continue into the next section, I want to read from Matthew chapter 10, something Jesus told his disciples. When they deliver you over, it wasn't if, it was when, right? When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. And what follows as we continue in John shows that promise in action. So the blind man's called for the second time before the Pharisees. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, <laughs> we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Now, if you think about it, that's some pretty deep insights from a formerly blind man. And remember, he would have been thought of as being inferior. It's pretty obvious that it's the Jewish leaders 
who are the spiritually blind ones. And all they can do is hurl an unfounded insult at him and cast him out. We can see from his response that in his heart, the blind man is already seeing his life in Christ. And he's already participating in kingdom work. God had given him those beautiful words to counter the Pharisees. That's that sanctification and participation coming through. He's been healed. His life has been transformed. And he knows it's all because of Jesus. And so his boldness in front of the Pharisees has increased as we've seen each encounter with them. We should see that increase in boldness in our own lives as our own sanctification continues. How we see ourselves in Christ as that grows through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Now, listen what happens next. This is great. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. See, after the Pharisees had finished with the man, Jesus finds him and asks him that same important salvation question, right? Do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man and the Pharisees, both coming from a Jewish background, right? Both would have been aware of the prophecies concerning the coming Son of Man, the Messiah, as Josh highlighted last week. And I get the sense in the man's answer that he, like many of, of that time, had been eagerly expecting the Messiah to come. And that anticipation, that Holy Spirit-gifted faith, not only brought him salvation, but it also gave him the gift of sight. And we see it's not just physical sight. He's been given spiritual insights as well, if we think about how he responded to the Pharisees. Now, I want to handle something here. Perhaps you're, you're puzzling over Jesus' statement about judgment, all right? Remember from this last passage, Jesus said, For judgment I come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, with a casual reading, that might seem to be a little bit at odds with his statement from chapter 8, verse 15. And that statement was, You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Now, here's a great example of why context is so important. See, the statement in chapter 8 was confronting the judgmentalism of the Pharisees who were all too eager to contempt, condemn the woman caught in adultery. And here in chapter 9, the judgment is referring to the salvation decision we all need to make about who Jesus is. And as often the case, God used the supposedly weak and supposedly inferior formerly blind man to shame those who were supposedly enlightened by their long study of Scripture. They who knew Scripture, those Pharisees, should have been the first to see Jesus as the Messiah. 
And their sin was that they didn't. So we've been talking a lot about how those filters impact our salvation, right? We, we, we can't even see Jesus until the Holy Spirit does the work to start showing us our need for him. See, if, if, if you don't have that, if the Holy Spirit isn't doing that for you, Jesus just at, at most looks like a good teacher. But with the Jesus filter, we realize our need for him as our Lord and Savior. And with that should come the realization that we can trust what he tells us, even when our own filters are keeping us from seeing the whole picture. And that realization is also important as we walk through our sanctification, how we see ourselves in Christ. See, for many of us, even after we're saved, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that God loves us, that we are His children. He loved us while we were still condemned sinners, and He loves us now as redeemed sinners. Depending on our experiences of love, you know, with the people in our lives, that can be hard to accept. And, and even the more we understand our position as sinners relative to a holy God, it's sometimes hard to imagine His love for us and what that looks like. And that's why trusting who He is and what He tells us is so important. In the midst of trials and temptations and the devil whispering in our ear that we're still not good enough, we can know with certainty that Jesus loves us because he tells us exactly that in his word. While there can be these mountaintop moments in our walks with Christ, most of the time that love is shown as a steady presence every day. A steady presence that slowly cleans up our filters so that we can see God's kingdom purposes more clearly in each situation. That's that ongoing sanctification. Just like Jesus did for his disciples with the blind man. And as we start to see his kingdom purposes, we start to see ourselves in Christ. Or put another way, we see Christ's character developing in ourselves where once there was sin. We realize that we're starting to react differently to situations we encounter. Now, there's a challenge there because sometimes we don't see that progress for ourselves. Right, And that's where it helps to have our brothers and sisters, all of you all, encouraging us because they might see that progress more clearly than we do. Now, if that's you this morning, if you're struggling to see that progress in your own spiritual walk or if you're grappling with understanding how much God loves you, please come up and see me after service. I'll be over here. Or find one of the elders. You'll see one of them out in the foyer talk to us. We'll point you to Scripture, help you to see how much God loves you. And one of the cool things about our Jesus filters, right, as they're being cleaned up, as our sanctification is growing, our participation in the kingdom work of God increases. As, as, and how we see ourselves in that work is clarified. And I say that because we learn to prayerfully look at situations and ask God, how can I serve your kingdom in this, right? See, if you think about it, our default mode is, is protecting ourselves or, or benefiting ourselves in any given situation, right? 
mean, that's how I usually react to things. But we learn to see beyond how something impacts us as we go through trials and temptations. And in hindsight, see how God worked in and sustained us and sustained others through those trials. See, in my experience, rarely has there been a trial that I've gone through that hasn't just impacted me, it's impacted other people around us. And, you know, we see that in sin too, right? When we sin, even if we don't think it does, it hurts people around us. And the opposite of that is God's kingdom work, right? It's bringing healing to people around us, even if that healing takes time to work itself out. See, as, as the disciples learned, it's not always obvious. They got stuck thinking that the man's blindness could have only resulted from sin. We do the same. We often can only picture something as A or B, not realizing there could be an option C. Note also how the kingdom purpose Jesus reveals that the disciples in his healing of the blind man so much deeper than simply confirming Jesus' authority as the Son of Man. Not that that's not a big deal. But the man who was healed was himself drawn to salvation and sanctification and participation in the kingdom work. And at that point in time, that kingdom work was to help illuminate the spiritual blindness of the Jewish leaders. You know, there's times in our, in our journey when it's hard to see how our faithful obedience to Christ positions us to participate, to be involved in the kingdom work. In other words, we don't see it. As we mature in Christ, we should see our involvement in kingdom work, that participation, as of the utmost importance, right? When we're, when we're sinners or early in our walks, there's other things that, that seem to be so important to us. And the more our sanctification progresses, we see how truly important kingdom work is. And not only its importance do we see, but the joy that comes in participating in that work and the privilege of being called to do so. It's really easy to get stuck in the middle, right? We, we come to faith, we kind of have this plateau region in our walk sometimes. You know, sometimes we think that, you know, I'm not a pastor or I'm not a missionary or something and that our participation is somehow less important. I think the blind man would disagree with you. See, he participated even in the uncomfortable situation he was placed in being called in front of the Pharisees. And that was even though he hadn't sat long under Jesus' teachings, right? He'd just been healed. And he humbly worshiped Jesus out of gratitude for his salvation. I can imagine that the blind man would have kept going from there, proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. Would the worship team please come up? Now, God doesn't always fully reveal his kingdom purposes to us. We heard it something along these lines earlier this morning. And I think this is often because we may not be ready to accept them or because we'd be overwhelmed by them. I think that's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
He doesn't give us the whole map. He doesn't light the entire trail ahead. He lights the path immediately in front of us. He, he lets us know the end point to be with Him, to enjoy Him. But He doesn't light the entire trail ahead. He lights that path immediately in front of us so we don't stumble. And so we can start to see just what's a little ways ahead and serve Him where we are, just as Jesus meets us where we are. So if you struggle seeing how your life fits into his kingdom purposes, ask him to help you see that. You know, most of us live pretty simple lives. One day is similar to the next. We go to work or we go to school, we do chores or other necessary tasks. And it's hard to see how that can impact the kingdom. But if we look beyond, right, that's what Jesus called, told his disciples. Look beyond the blindness. There's more, more things going on here we see that we interact with people every day. Some of those people are saved, some aren't. Faithfully, not perfectly, faithfully, following Jesus day in and day out looks different to the world. You know, there's always going to be those who are against Christ, those like the Pharisees who are going to try to discredit the miracle of salvation in your heart. Ah but those called by the Spirit will see the difference in you. And you can tell them how you were blind, but now you see. Let's pray. Father God, what an amazing thing that you have not only opened our eyes to our need for salvation, our, opened our eyes to our need for Christ, but you grow us from there. You help us to see your kingdom working in ways that, that we'd never conceive of. Help us to be willing to, to listen to your spirit as he points these things to us. Help us to be willing to participate in that work. It's such a joy when we can see somebody come to the gospel or take steps towards saving faith or see somebody to grow in Christ where they once struggled with a sin, that they put that behind them thanks to the Holy Spirit's work in their heart. And what a joy to participate in that. What a joy to see that. What a privilege that you have given us kingdom work to do. Let us take that not only seriously, but with joy. And we ask that you would help us with that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.